Amen. We are in a series called Timeless Testaments, and we started the character of Saul. And I want to talk to you today about when God is late. When God is late. Has God ever been late, maybe in your life? Uh, There's a young boy who went to the store with his mother, uh, and the shop owner was a kind man, and he passed the jar of suckers and invited the little boy to help himself to a handful. But uncharacteristically, the boy held back, so the shop owner pulled out a handful for him and gave it to him. And when the boy's mother outside, she asked him, she said, uh, why wouldn't you take a handful of suckers from the shop owner? Or, and she, he replied, he said, because his hand is much bigger than mine. And sometimes God, uh, you know, God's got bigger hands than we do. And if we would just wait on the Lord to provide instead of providing for ourselves, sometimes we might get a little bit better deal. Amen. And so why, we're going to talk today about why we should wait on the Lord and why we should listen and obey God's voice. Uh, in Romans 8, uh, 34, in the message, uh, it says, Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting because sometimes God is working in our waiting. Sometimes God is doing something in the now and waiting for that moment, that appointed time when he's going to bring that deliverance or that breakthrough. Uh, and so, so, so I think so often we, uh, we go through life, we fear our circumstances, we fear what's going to happen. We get maybe even a little bit of pride in there that we can kind of handle things in ourselves. And by doing that, we push back that waiting, we get antsy, we get uh, ahead of ourselves. And in so doing, we really sin against God and relying and trusting on God. And in doing that, even sin, if you know anything about sin, sin just builds upon itself. And that sin can lead to that, that moment where it, we deny we have any issues at all. We, we no longer deal with our sin. And we're going to talk this morning about three moments in Saul's life where he uh, had fear that led to failure and pride that led to poverty because he did not wait upon and obey the voice of the Lord. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. I'm going to talk of three things this morning about impatience, self-reliance, and disobedience. Impatience, self-reliance, and disobedience. Let me give you the background here. So this young man named Saul, he's been chosen. God uh, challenged Israel uh, to, to keep him as king. God had an appointed time. God wanted Israel to wait for the timing for a king. But Israel was antsy, and they said, we want a king now, and so Saul was the man chosen for the job. Now, this guy, uh, he's fearful of God's calling, but nevertheless, God anoints him with his spirit, changes his heart, he prophesies, he's filled, and he begins a victorious campaign against the enemy uh, in the name of God. And God gives this guy a chance, and, he, uh, and I think Saul, at the very beginning, is very sincere and genuine and spirit-filled, but along the way, Samuel had given a warning, and this should be for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all of your heart, for consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Samuel warned them. He said, more than anything, I want you to fear the Lord. What is that? What is fearing the Lord? Because we get kind of get messed up. about I don't know, but why should I fear God? I thought perfect love casts out fear, and we shouldn't fear God. One author wrote, he said, fear is that reverential awe. It's that uh, reverential awe that knows that God is real and present. 
It's a reverence, it's a holy awe. Uh, for instance, let's say if I was to take you today and say, hey, let's, I'm going to introduce you to the president, or maybe it's the Queen of England or somebody, how many people would be nervous, right? Or maybe it's your favorite sports star or whatever. You would kind of be nervous. You, make, you wouldn't go there and, and cut off sweatpants shorts and, and, and a, you know, a spaghetti strap Speedo or you know, whatever. You wouldn't, you wouldn't just show up with your hair all messed up and you know, your eyes drooping on one side. I mean, you, would, you would try to put yourself together, and you would probably be kind of nervous to go meet the president in the Oval Office or the Queen of England on her throne, right? Because there's a reverence for the position of who they are. What we need in America today is a reverence for the position of God. It's a holy reverence that even though I could know that that Queen of England or the president or that famous sports star, whoever, would be the nicest person in the world, and we could eat there, and we could go out to eat, and they would just be like a normal person. we think, oh my gosh, they're a normal person. But there's still this holy reverence for that position. There's a fearful reverence that I just have a respect for that uh, and know the power that they hold. The same is true for God. Samuel says, fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. If not, if you do wicked stuff, you and your king is going to be swept away. So one day, here we are, 1 Samuel uh, 13, verse 8. One day, the Philistines come up against Israel. They've got 30,000 chariots. They've got 6,000 cavalry. And now many of Israel has fled. And the fear of the enemy has overcome them. They are running to the caves. They're hiding out. And Saul uh, is there remaining, and people are trembling. Now, let's read from verse 8. Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time. Everybody say, appointed time. I'm going to tell you something. Tonight, you do not want to miss tonight's message on the appointed time. The fullness of time is going to go right into this. There's a lot of things. I want to preach two messages right now. Lord's giving me a word for tonight. But he, await, he, he was supposed to wait seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, hey, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offering. And, the, uh, and he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished the offering of the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, oh, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the appointed time. And the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. So I have not asked favor of the Lord. So I had to force myself to offer the burnt offering. You ever catch your kid? You're like doing something they shouldn't do, and they just quickly backpedal and say, oh, no, 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 he did it, or she did it, or I didn't do that. I just, you know, this happened. In this moment, it's getting really dangerous. Saul's only got a few hundred people. There are 36,000 people surrounding him. Samuel says, hey, I'm going to show up on the seventh day. We're going to offer a sacrifice. God's going to give you the victory. It's like the end of the seventh day, and no doubt Saul's like, they're all around us. I'm looking at my clock. The sun's setting. Where's the guy yet? He said he'd be here, but he's not here yet. And so he says, okay, we can't go into this battle unless we do this, this stuff that I've seen Samuel do, this religious stuff. And so, hey, let's, I'm going to start it. Let's just start it. And if he shows up, it's going to be great. God's going to get victory. But we can't do this without God. Okay, so Samuel, that's how he did it. I'm going to do it. So he begins to give the burnt offering. Samuel shows up. And his Saul runs out there happily unaware of his sin, like, hey, buddy, I'm glad you're here. Where have you been? It's taken so long. You went the long way around. But immediately Samuel's reaction changes, and Saul sees what he's done and begins to make excuses. Look what he does. He says, it was because of the people, because the people were fleeing. It's their fault. And then he goes on, he says, "Uh, oh, actually, uh, it's because you were late. That's why I had to do this. You were late. 
All right? It's your fault. And then he goes on, he says, it's because the Philistines, there's too many of them. It's getting now. If we don't act now, we may not win. All right? And then he says, finally, he says, well, I had to force myself. I didn't really want to do it, uh, but I had to make myself do it. Don't we do that with God? We say, hey, God, I'm glad you showed up. Uh, I've been handling life pretty good for a little while, but I've really needed you. But it's okay. I've been waiting. I've been waiting, but I've been making it. All right? I've been surviving. Uh, And then God shows up and he says, what do you mean you've been making it for a while without me? Don't you know your whole life is supposed to be all me, not you, but me in you and through you? And then we begin to backpedal and we begin to say things, you know, like, well, uh, I've been handling it to you, God, here. We, uh, we, so often we're trying to hold our lives together. And, and if God's late, we think, okay, well, I know how God could do it. I think, God, this is what he would want me to do. And so we begin to start. I don't hear from God on taking that job or something like that. You think, well, uh, I don't know. Maybe this is what God would do. Or maybe we don't know what's right or wrong in a decision. And, and instead of waiting on the Lord and praying and seeking counsel and seeking prayer and reading his word, we think, well, this is probably what the Bible would do. I have so many people I've ever heard say this is what probably the Bible says to be totally off base about what Jesus really said. You know, uh, we can we can begin to add and insert things into Scripture we assume are there because we never take the time to read it and we never take the time to pray to see if God's going to confirm what our decision is. And Saul begins to do that. He turns to quick fixes. He turns to religious rituals. Well, if I just, you know, go to church three times, spin around, sit down, do the hokey pokey, then God's going to like what I'm doing and he's going to bless my life, right? We begin to cut corners. Well, it's just a little lie. It's just a little fib. It's not really stealing. It's not really gossip. It's not really doing all these things. But if I say my little prayer and if I pay my little tithe, put a little money in the offering, then God can't help but bless my mess up. Right? This is going to be one of those quiet sermons, I already tell you right now. It just is. All right? I prepared myself, okay? Are we turning to quick fixes? Are we turning to religious rituals? Are we holding to God's word by faith? I don't care how many times you come to church this morning, or I don't care how many times you pray. I don't care how much you put in the offering, because I don't even know. I don't even look. I don't care. I want to know, are you holding to God's word by faith? Are you obeying his word and following the leading of the Holy Spirit? Because that will make you a fruitful and productive Christian. And Saul had known from the very beginning, just like God is teaching us from the very beginning of our Christianity, you didn't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. This Christian life cannot be walked through or run through without the presence of Almighty God leading you, empowering you, and directing you. If you want to be a Christian on your own, good luck. It's not going to happen. You can't do it on your own. Heath Harris is not good enough to be a Christian. I couldn't get myself saved. I couldn't transform my character myself. I can't change my attitudes. So who am I to think that I can even go buy milk on my own for crying out loud? Because I am a soul headed for destruction. Eternal hell was my destination. But God had saved my soul, filled me with the Holy Spirit, changed me and called me by his own. That's all him. That's all him. And Saul was told from the very beginning, uh, at the very first time Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, Samuel said, Saul, God's anointed you as king. He's filled you with his spirit. Now wait seven days. I'll show back up, and then we're going to consecrate you as king. From the very beginning, Saul was been taught to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. But he failed to wait because of the fear, the fear of man. 
the fear of his situation. So Samuel tells him, he says, Saul, your kingdom's not going to endure. The Lord has sought out for a man after his own heart. He's appointed him as ruler over his people because you've not kept what God has commanded you. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? I love what F.B. Meyer, a famous uh, Christian author, wrote. He said, get this, listen to this. The man after God's own heart will obey God to the uttermost. He'll wait on him to the last moment with assured faith. He'll dare to stand amid a dwindling army and with disaster imminent for the lack of marching orders. But man thinks God's slow behind the appointed time and forgetful. But nay, God is waiting to be gracious. He's waiting for the precise moment when he can intervene with most effect. With most effect. Maybe today you're in a situation and you think, God, you're late. I've been praying for this and praying for this. I've been asking for this. I've been asking for this. And God, you failed to show up. But what God is doing is he's working on you in the waiting. If you could set your mind on the word of God and the spirit of God and say, God, I'm holding fast to your will. I'm holding fast to the presence of God. And I know that God is for me and not against me. And he can't help but walk me through the perfect plan of his will. If I just say, God, I'm holding on. I'm making sure I'm walking in obedience. I'm making sure I'm listening to your spirit. I'm making sure, God, I'm doing the right things by you. And if that's your heart... God will show up. It's not an if. God will show up. He promises to show up for those who are walking by faith in His Spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. God is working on your waiting, and He is waiting for the moment where He can show up with most effect. We should remember words like this. Wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall, what? Mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40. Wait on the Lord. Or you think about this verse in Proverbs 29. The fear of man brings a snare, but those who trust, those who believe, those who have faith in the Lord will be exalted. Are we fearing situation around? I don't know if it's a doctor's report. I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm going to be married by the end of this year. I don't know if it's my finance. I don't know if I can pay my bills. I don't know if my kids are going to be saved. I don't know if my husband loves me or my wife loves me. I don't know uh, if, if there's uh, issue, issues at work, if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. There's all kinds of things. You can think like the enemy is completely around you, but today the word of the Lord is wait, wait on him. Amen. So he got some little impatience. Well, here's the thing. Sin builds sin. So he fails to wait on the Lord. And then let's go on. The war is still going on. The war hasn't been won yet. The war has continued. So here we are. Saul has got 600 guys. That's it. He's got 600 guys. He's surrounded by 36, say it, 36,000 people. 600 versus 36,000. How many people like those odds, Right? Uh, I'm not a betting person, but I wouldn't take that, right? 600 to 36,000. And they surrounded him in three troops, so they're all on all sides, right? They're, they're, they're surrounding him. And so Samuel's just rebuked him. You didn't wait on the Lord. You just try to do this thing. Religion. You put out some religion out there and think God's going to bless your religion. You didn't wait on his obedience, all right? You didn't wait on him in obedience. So, so all they've got, and just to make matters worse, it's 600 to 36,000. Here's the deal. There are only two swords... In the whole 600, Saul has one, Jonathan, his son, has the other. Everybody else has got pitchforks and shovels and hoes and, and rakes. That's what they got. Maybe a, a, a sickle or two. 
right? They're out there and they're going to be against the Philistines. The Philistines, they got iron chariots, they got spears, they got people like Goliath in their ranks, okay? This is the odds. So how many people be crying out for the Lord, right? It's impossible. Just the same way that you living a Christian life and fighting the demons of hell, getting victory over your sin, receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and getting victory in the gates of heaven, uh, that's impossible. So Jonathan, his son, says, you know what? God's for us. He's not against us. Jonathan is a, is a cool dude. I like Jonathan. He puts on his armor, get his armor bearing, says, you know what? We're going to go up this hill. And Jonathan begins to, uh, hears, feels like the Lord is for him. He kind of tests the waters out, thinks God gives him a sign. He starts going up the hill. Man, he takes out 20 dudes by himself, him and his armor bearer, the little dude. He just, 20 guys. Man, don't you know that those Philistines begin to tremble? If one guy can take out 20, what can all 600 do? God must be on their side. Now, they knew about God. Philistines had heard about... They'd been, they'd been cursed by the ark uh, just a few chapters back. All right? And so uh, God sees this and sees the faith of Jonathan, Jonathan, sends an earthquake, and the ground begins to tremble. Now, don't you know they're really fearing now? They begin to stir. Now, Saul sees this now. He sees this. Now, Saul's hiding back at the back of the troops. He's fearful of man. He just got rebuked by Samuel because he put in religion instead of relationship with the presence of God. And he tried to do it his own way because he was impatient. Now, he's fearful again. And, but yet he sees that something's happening and the Philistines begin to flee and to spread, uh, uh, and, and spread out and go away. And so, look in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 18. So Saul says to Ahijah, the priest, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God was at that time of the sons of Israel. Now Saul talked to the priest. There was commotion in the camp of the Philistines that continued to increase. And Saul said to the priest, wait, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. So Saul's behind. you got to get this picture. Saul's behind. He's fearful. Jonathan just acted in faith, and God sent an earthquake, and these, these troops don't know what's going on. Saul sees us. He says, okay, get the ark out here. Get the priest out here. Now, granted, this isn't Samuel. He didn't call for Samuel. He called for the son or the grandson of, Le, uh, of Eli, the failed priest, and the failed priest line. He calls for a religious man, and he calls for the ark, which is the box where the, the tablet of uh, testimony was, the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, he calls for that. And at that, the Philistines really, they see the ark, they go, that's the presence of God. They begin to stir even more, and it looks like they're going to flee. So he tells the priest, pull out the, uh, the two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, which is how they kind of cast lots to see what God would do and wants them to do. But in the middle of it, he says, wait, stop praying, stop seeking the Lord. The battle's already being won. God's doing, so let's go. And they go out, and then God begins to give them the victory. But what happened was Saul told the priest, hey, it looks like things are going to happen. We got this. We got this. We don't need to finish praying. We don't need to seek the Lord. Let's jump on the victory of what's happening over there, and we'll get the victory for ourselves." And that's exactly what Saul did, exactly what he did. In that moment, in that moment, Saul was halfway through seeking the Lord, the enemy is getting away. We've got this. And for whatever reason, Saul had grown arrogant and indifferent to the things of God. Maybe it was the pressure of his job. Maybe it was just, I just, he's nervous about the pressure of his job. Maybe it was the fear of man. Maybe it was the pride or self. Either way, Saul begins to claim God's victories for his own. 
And they go on, Saul begins to push his people and push his people to the point of breaking, pushing them to fight for him, pushing them. And along the way, he begins to build monuments up to himself along the way. And don't we do that in life? We think, you know, God's got, we, we can live life our own way. We can do things our own way. And we can just say, I go to church. And we can say, Lord gave me that job. Lord gave me that car. Lord gave me that house. Lord gave me that pool. Along the way, though, we don't got a single relationship with God. We can put the religion on it. We can, you think about it this way. Saul had the victory. Saul had a priest. Saul had the ark. But Saul did not have God. You can have a pastor. You can have a church. You can have some form of religion. You can even have some wins in your life and have some good things happen. But that doesn't mean you've got God. You can slap any kind of religion on something you're doing you want and call it God, but that doesn't mean you've got God. God is there for those who are walking by faith and obedience to His Spirit and His Word, who are following Him into victory. And so let's not pretend today that there, there are moments that we've set up as victories in our life and blessings in our life, but really what it was is Saul was setting up monuments to himself. Oh, God gave me this victory. Oh, God gave me this victory. But really, God's looking at it, that's a monument to your own work and effort because you didn't seek my face in that. That's a monument to your own work and effort because you didn't seek my face in that. And Saul sees this, and guess what? God stops answering Saul's prayer. Saul kept going to God. God wouldn't answer. He called the priest. Priest would have nothing to say. He'd go to the ark in the presence of God. Nothing would happen. Nothing would show up. And this distance with God began to work on Saul's heart, began to tear him apart on the inside. And so we go even a little further. And it says there's uh, Saul gets all these victories, and, and basically God's saying, You're a fake, you're a phony, and you're a fool, because Samuel calls him a fool. And so we can think about it in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that says that we can have all the outwards of godliness, but we can have a denying of its power. And we can rely on self more than we rely on God, because really the victory that day came because of Jonathan's faith in the presence of God. I think about Proverbs 3, verse 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. God wanted to give these farmers a mighty victory. He wanted to show the enemy that 600 guys with pitchforks could take on all the armies of the Philistines. God wanted to do something mighty. He wanted to point people to himself and show them and inspire people that God can do impossible things with impossible odds. But if we keep doing life by our own strength and our own power, we're robbing God of a testimony of his greatness. If we keep jumping the gun and not waiting on God and saying, God, what could you do? It's getting a little bit too hard in life, God. It's getting a little bit too impossible in life. What do you mean pray longer? What do you mean go to church more? What do you mean? getting my Bible longer. Lord, no, we've got to act right now. Things are bad. I need a solution. I need a quick fix. You've got to stop this situation. You've got to do something in this moment. And God's like, if you just wait, I would get so much glory out of your life. But like Saul, he's like, no, I don't, I'm halfway through praying. I'm halfway through hearing the voice of God. And he says, let's go. Let's, let's do this. We can do this. God's going to bless it. If I do it, God's going to bless it. That is not always the case. Sorry, ma'am. God sometimes lets us get our own foolishness. 
He, he sometimes just gives us a little bit enough rope and we can get in trouble with ourselves. It's a victory in the Christian life, Scripture would tell us, is not by might, our might, it's not by our power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. How we sometimes trust ourselves when we think we have something. But in a sense, all they had were pitchforks. They needed the Lord more than they ever imagined. So this impatience had turned to self-reliance, and now this self-reliance had now turned to disobedience. Let's go on. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 8. So Saul sinned now, and God, though, he's going to give Saul one more chance. So Samuel gives Saul a message. He says, okay, you got some punishment in your life for what you've been doing, but God's going to give you another chance. He says, go out and strike Amalek, which are the Amalekites. And he says, I want you to utterly destroy them, their king, their people, even men, women, and children. I want you to kill the family dog, the pets, the animals, everything. That sounds kind of harsh, right, in modern society. But in that day, if you have to understand who Amalek was, God had given the, the nation of uh, the Amalekites years, hundreds of years, to repent. These are ambush people. These are demonic, bloody people who had come and attacked Israel in ambush in the wilderness. You remember the story where Moses had to put up his arms and hold them there for victory because Joshua was fighting? That's the Amalekites. They ambushed them, and God gave the victory. Well, these people, if uh, some people believe these are pagans of pagans. They are, have lost themselves into temple prostitution, homosexuality, bestiality, child sacrifice, and the like. And their evil was spreading to other nations. And God said, time of judgment. I've had grace. They've had time. This is the time of judgment. Now it's, it's over. I want Saul, you to go be my arm of judgment and go do this. And Saul says, okay, I'll do it. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 8. Saul takes 30,000 troops he sets an ambush outside the city of Amalek, and verse 8 says, He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. He utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, and Saul and, and the people spared Agag uh, and, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. They were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So Saul takes and destroys the bad, and he keeps the good. Don't sometimes how we do that in life? God says, change your life. He says, I want you to be a, a, a person following my spirit. I want you to be born again, alive with Christ. I want you to get this new journey. And we think, well, I can keep some of these things in my life. These aren't all so bad. Uh, I can use these things for God's glory. Well, we didn't ask God that. He didn't tell you that yet. And so Saul's been told the opposite. If God saves your soul and he says, I want you to leave heavy metal rock and roll music behind... He may not tell me that, but if he's told you that, let me tell you something. You better leave heavy metal, rock and roll music behind. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying if God tells you something, that's what he wants you to do. So Saul begins to make compromise with what the, world, what the word of God has said. And so, man, God wakes up Samuel. And he says, Saul has completely turned his back on me. He has completely uh, uh, backslidden. He's gone the other way. He's disowned me, and he, he hasn't followed me at all. He has no care about my heart and my word. And in fact, Samuel shows up, and what is Saul doing? Oh, my gosh, he is setting up another monument of victory. He set up another testimony. We did it. God was for us. Yay, us. We did something awesome for God. And God's like, no, you didn't. That wasn't what I told you to do. You did that on your own. 
That's not what I was trying to bless. That's not what the direction of my, my calling on your life is. That's what I've told you to do. But we can go out there. We can cheer ourselves and say, yes, I'm an awesome Christian. Yes, I've done things. Yeah, I can post scriptures on Facebook. Ah, because I'm a Christian. And you know, we, can, we can set ourselves up and, uh, behind the scenes. God knows. What's all that about? Who are you posting to? Who are you chanting for? Because I know what you were like just yesterday. I tried to have a conversation with you. But you wouldn't sit down and talk with me. Man, it's quiet in here. So the Lord tells Samuel, show up. And he shows up. And Saul comes out there and he's like, hey, bud, it's been awesome. God gave some victory, man. You should have been there. It's so awesome it was. Samuel looks at him. He says, why do I hear sheep? Don't you know your sin will find you out? What's all this sheep right here doing here? Because God just told you, I'm pretty sure, wipe out everything. And look what he says. It's almost comical. He goes on, and I'm just going to paraphrase. He starts saying things like, well, 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 they saved the best for the Lord your God. They, they saved the best. They wanted to save the best for the Lord your God. And he says, but we... We did utterly destroy everything. And, and in fact, uh, I did obey the Lord. I just brought back the king so that it would be for God, your God. That is the words of a backslider. They did it. I did what I was supposed to do. The blame's on them, but I did my part. But here's the deal. In fact, Saul didn't kill the king. They didn't kill all the sheep. And in fact, they actually didn't even kill all the Amalekites. You'll see about that in a second. He lied to himself. He lied to Samuel. And he was lying to God. You can go to God all you want and say how awesome you are. But God knows you. He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your form. He knows the hair on your head. He knows if you're right with him or not. And we can pretend and we can pretend and we can go to church and we can put on a happy face and we can put on our pretty clothes and we can post those scriptures on Facebook. But if we ain't right with God, there's no hiding it. God knew. God knows. God knows Heath Harris is a horrible person without him. He knows my mind is so messed up that I need him every single day just to think straight, just to get through life on a day without just horribly making a mess of it. I know I am a horrible person without the Holy Spirit. And we have to be honest with ourselves and say, God, I need you to breathe. I need you to get through this day to be a husband, to be a wife, to be an employee, to be a father, to be a son. I need the presence of God just to get through each and every day. But Saul had fallen down a slippery slope. He had completely turned from following God to following self. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel says, But Saul has the Lord much delight in birth offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice and he goes on, he says, but rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, of divination, and insubordination to his, his word is like iniquity and idolatry. You have rejected the very word of the Lord. And so he's rejected you from being king. I don't know if you believe in backsliding, but I do. There's a perfect example right there. Saul, in, in the early chapter, says his heart was changed, says he was filled with spirit. He was even prophesying with the prophets. God was giving him victory, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Does that sound like salvation to you? I don't know how many non-saved people could have all that going on. But then because he went on the slippery slope of not waiting on the Lord, 
of not trusting in the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord left him. That's what the Bible says. The Spirit of the Lord actually left him. So you think you can do what you want as long as you want, and there's not going to be consequences that they have another thing coming. The Bible is very clear that if we continue to disobey, God gave Saul three chances to come back. God longed for him to be the king he wanted him to be. But obedience is better than religion. Obedience in the Christian life is better than church attendance. Obedience in the Christian life is better than paying your tithes. And that's part of obedience. But obedience is better than the outward religion. So Saul could have repented. He could have turned to God. He could have killed the king in that moment. He could have said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Kill all these sheep. Kill the king. Let's consecrate ourselves. Put ashes on us. Let's repent, mourn, and wail, and weep because we've not done what God called us to do. But he didn't. So Samuel comes over there. He chops Ahag, the, the, the king, into pieces. And Saul says, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, and he says, but here, hey, Samuel, before you, Samuel's about to leave, he grabs Samuel, uh, the, the bottom of his, of his uh, robe, and it rips. And Samuel says, because you've done this, God's ripped the kingdom from you. And he says, but I'm so sorry. Can you just come uh, and, and worship with me before the elders, before you go? He cared nothing about repentance or humility or making a change in his life. He wanted the show. Samuel, just come make it look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Would you at least come back and before the whole assembly of Israel, just kneel down here with me? No humility, no brokenness, no repentance. There's no salvation without repentance. There's, there's no born-again experience without repentance. It's a humble, broken heart. It's a contrite heart that the Lord blesses. Saul was scared more about what man thought than what God thought. He cared more about what other people in the congregation would think about him rather than coming down to an altar and getting right with God. He cared more about what his family would say if he changed his life. He cared more about what other people thought about him and, and leaving that old life behind and changing things than, than sometimes like we do. Oh, what will people say if I go down the altar? What will people say if I raise my hands? What will people say at work if I stand up for Jesus? How many in churches are around America today to save face or show? that We can say, I'll live how I want to, and then we can feel guilty and get caught, and they'll say, well, I'll go to church. I'll say a prayer. I'll pay my tithes. I'll let somebody know. I'll make sure that, that long, slow put in the offering. You know, like, <coughs> you know, and you... You did that long, you know, drop, or, you know, you jiggle the change in your wallet before you drop it in there. I know you. No, not really. I don't, nobody in here does that. But we can make a show. We can put it on, and we can come to church and say this big prayer, and, and people can talk like a sailor all week. We can spill hate. We can spill gossip. We can have sex with other people that aren't our marital spouse. We can love our pills, our pornography, and then we can feel justified if we just show up through the doors of a church. Like Saul, it's called willful disobedience. I'm going to tell you something today, though. The broken are always welcome in God's house. The broken, it's on our, on our building, big sign on the road. The broken, welcome to the broken. The broken are always welcome in God's house. But what is the broken? The broken are messed up people, and I'm one of them. 
We are all messed up. We got our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. We got all these problems in our lives. We got our minds that are not what they ought to be. Our, our hearts are pulling us right and left. And we've got a, a record, a, a blacklist. We've got all the things, a ledger of all the things we've done. We've got all the sins in our life. But broken means I could come to God and say, Lord, I am a mess. I'm not what I ought to be. I kneel at your, humble, your feet humbly and say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Change my life. I repent. I turn away from the way I used to live and not being in control of my life any longer. And I say, Lord, I want to wait on your presence. I want to obey your word. I want to seek your face and seek your spirit. Change me. Help me, oh God, not to have Heath Harris in the driver's seat anymore of this life. But Lord, you take the wheel. I want to walk with you into glory. That's broken. It's an abandonment of self, abandonment of sin, and an abandonment of society. Sin, self, and society. It means I am losing myself to Jesus Christ. I am getting over myself and all of its hang-ups and habits and saying, God, and going with James 4, 8, that I could draw near to God. I know if I'm broken, He draws near to me. He says, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's talking about how we laughed and had fun in the world with worldly pleasures and worldly things. And now I can repent and weep over my sin because I know I've got better things in Jesus. And now I see my life differently. And he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, one translation says, and he will exalt you. I believe that if Saul had done that, it would have been a whole new story. He was on a third chance. God was saying, Saul, if you could just come, if he could have just went to that altar genuinely. You know, you could come to the altar today, and you can come down here, and we can think, oh, great. Somebody came to the altar and got saved. It could still be for show. I don't know your heart. Only you and God know your heart. It's not about how many times you raise your hands in a church or how many scriptures you can quote. It's about our heart and saying, God, I'm one of those broken people. I'm one of those messed up people. How many find with being a messed up person? Being a broken person. You got to be to come into this thing because only Jesus is right. Only Jesus is good. Only Jesus can make me whole. And so we come to that place and ask ourselves, how will your story end? How will your and my story end if we fail to continue to wait and trust in the Lord? Let me tell you how Saul's story ends. It's very sad. Saul continues to do this. The Spirit of the Lord leaves him. And that that emptiness torments him. In fact, the Bible says that evil spirits begin to torment and oppress him and begin to move on his heart. His emotions are messed up. He, paranoia came into play. Began to be paranoid about David, this young man we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. So much so that he began to think everyone was against him. He, his family began to split. Everything began to fall apart in his kingdom because he wasn't walking with the Lord. The blessing of the Lord had left him. So much so that he got himself in a predicament with the enemy that he began to fight a battle that God never told him to go into begin to fight, and he comes against the Philistines, and he's wounded. He gets wounded because he's gotten himself into something he shouldn't have got into in the first place, and now he's wounded, and he's about to die, but he doesn't want to die by their hands, so he tries to kill himself, and he even fails at that. He's lying there on a battlefield, sword inside of him, bloody, not dying, and guess who shows up to finish the job? An Amalekite. The demons that he didn't deal with from his past the things he failed to remove from his life at the word of God came back up in the worst part of his life and took him out. 
See, those things that God has called you to put away, those things that God has called you to deal with, God knows the future. He hadn't killed them all. They were still out there. And that little boy, Amalekite boy, killed him, took his crown. Saul is a reminder to us, a sad, sad story, but it's a wake-up call reminder to me. I've been repenting all week after I wrote this message. Just, God, help me just to not forget waiting in the presence of the Lord and making sure that I am obeying the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within me. I can't obey God's Word. I'm helpless. When it says turn the other cheek or do this or do that, Heath Harris does not want to do those things. But I have to continually get broken and say, God, not my will, but your will. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to act like you want me to act. Talk like you want to talk. And I'm just going to humble myself. And I can't do it on my own, church. I, you just can't go through life trying to be a Christian by your own efforts. That's what led Saul to this place. It's that I have to get broken every day and I come to that coworker. Not, not here, because I work at a church. But if you come to that coworker. And they are just mouthy and cursing or whatever. And, and you, you just feel angry. They stab you in the back or whatever. You don't just try to fix that. You go to God in prayer and you get broke and say, God, Heath Harris wants to respond this way. But God, I need you to respond through me. That's how we live this Christian life. Not by just doing it. Because I think this is what a Christian would do. Or this is how a Christian would do it. No, no, no. Holy Spirit, I need you in my heart. Tell me how to live. Tell me how to walk. Tell me how to think. Tell me how to do. And I'm going to look at the Word of God and compare and study it and learn it and know it. And that Spirit is just going to bring those scriptures to remembrance. You can say, remember, Heath, you've got to have compassion. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. He's going to say, Heath, remember I told you to sell your possessions, give it to the poor. Think about that man you're driving past. I'm just going to drive past some of those homeless people. And Heath Harris wouldn't be thinking anything about it, but God, prick my heart. You know, do something in my life, Lord. Let it be you and not me. Heaven help us. If we can just keep living the life we want to live, just denying the Word and the Spirit of God until one day He may not be there to quicken our hearts in that moment. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me, worship team? Would you come? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord.